everyone and welcome to the latest in our series of Scottish opera podcasts. This is podcast number five and today I'm joined by Marion Colquhoun who is the head of props at Scottish Opera. Hello Marion. Hi there, hi. Um, so first question, a kind of general question I ask most people doing these is can you give us a bit of background to your role in the company? Um, so my job as head of props is that I am responsible pretty much for most things you see on the stage. Um, props is short for properties um, and probably out of all the departments ours is the kind of most flexible and versatile in what we're asked to do so um, we could be asked for a giant sculpture, we could be asked for some broken bones, we could just be asked for some nice furniture, we could be asked for um, a knife that, that you know gives a fake blood effect. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's quite difficult to pin our department down in that pretty much everything you can see on the stage, you know, apart from the the flown cloth, will have probably been sourced from our department or made in our department. That's, it's a, such an interesting role, and I think, again, one, I didn't know props meant property, so that's <laughs> learning all the time. But um, it's something that people go, oh, yeah, People, you know, there's props department, or yeah. you know, as in, usually in, in relation to television or something yeah. like that, but probably don't have an idea of what they do or where they come from. So, how did you, what's your background in terms of. Uh, well, I was definitely what, one of those people that had, you know, when I was younger, I'd never heard of, you know, a props mistress or master or, or a prop maker. Um, I came mainly from a musical background. My father oh, right. was a musician. And that's what I intended to do. Um, but at the very last minute, um, kind of, you know, going into your um, choosing where to study, I changed my mind and decided to study um, Scottish literature and theatre studies, um, which was very academic. Um, and But through working, at, you know, doing an academic degree in theatre studies, I ended up working on student shows in, in the Gilmer Hill Centre in Glasgow. Wow. Um, just, I mean, it was, gosh, it was 2000 and it was just actually as the new building had opened up and they had great facilities. So we were putting on a lot of fantastic new productions. And I knew I was never going to be somebody on stage. I'd, I'd made, <laughs> that, made that decision. I'd made that, but I was, I was far too shy um, and nobody needed to see that. So I started to work in the stage management and by default, you know, in smaller theatre stage management, do the props. So I started to do prop making and as soon as I started to make things it became so natural to me because my mum had been somebody since we were very little. She taught us to sew, she taught us to do a lot of crafting and making with her hands. So everything came very natural to me and um, I felt like this is absolutely wonderful. And off the back of that, I went to study at the what was the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. Yes, yes. But still as a stage manager until I went in to do my very first um, placement in props and they went, you're a prop maker, you're not a stage manager. <laughs> and that was it, that was it. And so I, w I went to drama school, not knowing that that was what I was going to study, but very much having a great period of enlightenment and teaching myself and learning to paint and draw um, but the sculpting and m making anything physically with my hands came really naturally, and I, it w I was so addicted. I just didn't want to go home at night. And it's so lovely, nice this idea of this is something that you you know had done when you were younger becomes yeah. a job. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I I think it's I think it was just lovely to think that those things came from my parents as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. their their skills. You know, all kind of added up. 
I think when I get my father's musical background and my mum, very, you know, great maker, um, who knew this job would come out of that, you know. Yeah, because I think I probably thought um, that it would have been um, from uh, an arts degree, yeah. first of all, you know, where you learn to paint, mm-hmm. you learn and you do yeah. um, backdrops or something like that in the village. And there's yeah. such an interesting way into well, it. Well, I think, I think also because you know, a little bit back in the day, people weren't so aware of there's technical schools to go and study this. It just isn't, wasn't something that would appear on the syllabus. Um, so I don't even... And also, I don't even have a, a standard grade in art, you know, and now I tell and teach people who've been to art school how to make things and do things. Mm-hmm. So I always, when we have our school groups coming in, I always make it very clear, you know, you don't have to have a qualification in something is just, you know, sometimes it's about teaching yourself and, and, you know, grasping every opportunity you can. And so there's an educational aspect as well. You do have schools coming in to, to yes, see what Yes, yes. So, I mean, I think I've always found that wherever I've worked, um, one of the nicest things is when you do have school groups or tour groups coming round, because like any other job, you have those moments where you go, oh, I'm so fed up. <laughs> and there's nothing better for someone just to remind you of how lucky you are. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important as well, it's, especially with the way the arts is, you know, education is going just now. It's great for people to know these jobs are there and anyone from a working class background or every background, you can do it, you know. Um, it's interesting having talking to a few people now from the company about how important the educational aspect and the kind of outreach aspect is. Oh, it is. I mean, one of my very greatest memories from primary school, I went to... A school, a primary school in Knightswood, and um, it just felt like you know we weren't very important. But Scottish Opera chose to wow. you know visit us when we were um, when it was in primary school, and we spent weeks practicing these songs. And then they came, and we put on this fantastic show. And I remember when I came here about six years ago, and I went talked hello to the education department, got introduced, and I told them. And right away, they knew the songs and they, you know, they pulled them out. And it was such a magical thing in my childhood and, and quite inspiring and, you know, opens different worlds to you. So um, in terms of the, the kind of everyday practicalities of the job, what, what, what does that entail? Um, so the department's responsible for all of the props. So we're responsible for the buying of the props. Um, I'm responsible as prop supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm head of... I'm head of the department, but we have prop supervisors on shows and we have prop makers. Um, the prop supervisor will be the person who's in charge of the overall view. Um, so you'll go and you'll buy the props. You'll We don't borrow props because we have to have everything for the next time they come out. Right. You'll buy and source props, but you'll also be the person feeding the designer's vision to the maker and you will be working almost as a designer yourself, making sure this maker understands what they're trying to produce. And the thing with props is it's not just about producing a beautiful piece of art. Most of the things we produce on stage, they have a really practical element to them. Whether it's they have to do some incredible trick, like where we had our lovely... Um, magic bells or little robotic man and and, and oh, flutes. Um, I mean that was a really you know technical dif- difficult job to do, um, or it could just be we're going to take a mould of some sewing machines and make them lighter so this mm-hmm. chorus girls in the in the fl- in the du- uh, flying Dutchman could um, dance with them. So um, there's a buying element, a making element to the props, and we're also. Um, 
because my background is all in prop making is also in set I also have background in set building we also take on the responsibility of when you see larger kind of large sculptural pieces um, like large gorgeous sculpted cornicing we'll do that as well so our department's quite fluid Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of responsibility. Well, having, having seen uh, quite a few productions now of different sizes and scales, mm-hmm. and there's no two alike. No. You know, so you're going fresh to, to yeah. a new project every yeah. time. And it's a wonderful experience. I mean, there. I think there's a small number of us who go to the very, well, we go to the first model showings and we meet directly with the designer and we look at the model box and we see what their vision is and then we kind of enter this journey which could be a year, it could be 18 months or sometimes if, depending on how busy the designer is, it might just be six months but we have to go on this journey with them and it somehow sounds a bit mm, <laughs> but enter into their mind to really understand yeah. their thinking so that we can produce it and that's one of the best Things the best things about my job is just building these great relationships with the designers, like people that when I was a prop maker in London, I used to look at them and go, oh, I'll never speak to that person. And now I have great working relationships where I help produce and get exactly what they want on the stage. And it's so satisfying, you know. And, it's, and as I've moved from a prop maker to the head of department, I think that's just a thing that I didn't know, an experience I didn't know would come to me. And I love it. It's funny. So, what other areas do you do, do you collaborate with? Do you collaborate with writers? Do you, I mean, I mean, we we have to kind of often talk with everybody. Mm. Um, we'll sometimes. I mean, um, sometimes you know we do talk to the writers. That's quite rare. Yeah. Um, we're very involved with the directors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even the music department. Um, Everybody who's in the rehearsal room, and certainly the props department, we will be collaborative with every, pretty much every other department, because more than any other department, we've got so many crossovers. We might have a prop that needs to light up or has a special effect. We have a great um, design for next year's gondoliers. Nice. There's going to be a great club collaboration between myself and the costume department. Um, so we are collaborating all the time. We, we work very closely with the carpentry and the metalwork workshops and paint. Um, so, yeah, you have to make sure you get on well with everybody in this <laughs> building. But so what was, um, uh, what was your first uh, uh, production and, and what challenges did that offer you? In Scottish in Opera? Scottish Opera, yeah. Gosh, I, so, I was, so I was working... Um, for years at Covent Garden and I decided I wanted to come home Mm -hmm. and so I I sent my portfolio up here and um, it was just as Pirates of Pendance was um, getting produced and I came up I think the week before and they said yeah 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 okay lovely bye bye and then (laughs) they said a week later when I was back down in London please can you come up and I was like <laughs> okay so they booked me in for about three weeks and it was the most incredible three weeks of huge amount of prop, prop sculpting um, making dead bodies flying dead bodies um, and it was a real change from working at places like Covent Garden where you have a lot of time um, because they have bigger budgets yes yes and I remember, you know, phoning up my parents going, oh my goodness, ah! <laughs> um, but it, it actually brought me alive again, yeah. you know, because it gives you much more challenge. Um, 
And I am actually really now excited by what our departments can do, the quality that our departments can produce in such small timescales. And I think that is one of the challenges, is you think you know what you're going to be making, and then once you get into the rehearsal room, about 100 new things come out, and then once you get into the theatre, it changes again. And we're just about to put Breaking the Waves into the theatre. Mm. We literally got things on the wagons today and we're going into the <laughs> Theatre Royal. And um, I just said to my running props team, I just said, you know, well done. It's been a tough one in the rehearsal room. You've been great. But I feel we're back down at ground zero again and we're starting again when we go into the theatre. So every day is challenging and everything generally you get asked to make is challenging because you'll have never been asked to make it before. So, um, so it, well, what are the differences between something like Paris Penzance, which has been put on, you know, untold amount yeah. of times, um, and then you've got something like Breaking the Waves, which it's the first time that's been done as an opera? It's the second time. Second time. It's a, it's a European premiere. Right. Yeah. So, one, you know, you've almost got carte blanche to do something brand new with it, whereas do you feel that you have to at least um, look at other productions of something like Gilbert Sullivan or, you know, no, the other classics? I mean, I think I think every designer will come to whatever project they're in saying, I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah. You know, even with the standards. I think the biggest difference that we have with the likes of Breaking the Waves um, and with, you know, say something like Tosca that's coming mm-hmm. up, um, with our actual operas, you know, normal established operas, we're working usually with teams who work in opera all the time. With Breaking the Waves, we're working with different creatives who are probably tend towards more theatre, theatrical. And in the theatre, they tend to workshop things more in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a bit of a challenge for us because we have so many, you know, different deadlines. We have certain deadlines where we have to have singers in costumes or singers have singers have so much to do on stage that they have to have their props ready. They can't have things thrown at them at the last minute. Yeah, they minute. can't be searching for something no, that has to be there. They've, I mean, even since I like, you know, started to study at the conservatoire, I mean, the expectations of an opera singer are so different, you know, how much they're expected to act and, you know, yeah. I mean, especially in the room and Breaking the Waves, I am blown away by what they're doing acting-wise and everything and the emotion coming out of that. So the last thing we can be doing is wanting to do is unsettle them. Yeah, it's break them out of their yeah, performance. But with this one, we probably will be because it's very much a, a, a living, you know, moving thing. Every single minute it changes and it will probably be like that until it finally opens. And that's because they come from a theatrical background. And it's challenging and at times you go, oh, I don't like this. But, do you know, <laughs> it's just because it's taking you out of your comfort zone. And it's probably producing some really brilliant art, I think, you know, with it. So. And, and you mentioned the fabulous um, kind of mechanical man and magic flute. Yeah. Um, is that a, do you have a favourite prop that you've you've worked on over the years when you think, yeah, yeah I got yeah. absolutely good? I always, people ask me that and it's, you, you kind of tend to love everything you make, but I, I do always hark back to the first job when I, I worked at the Royal Opera House, which had been my dream job. And... Um, and I went in and I was given two jobs which were both hugely terrifying to me <laughs> and I remember sitting at my desk pretending I knew what I was doing aware that everybody was look at, looking at me not knowing what I was doing and um, so I was asked to make um, 
it was for Anna Nicole, the opera, and they had these camera masks and they were full head masks, they were like retro movie cameras, and there would be dancers who were um, going to be wearing them and they they were dressed up like insects and they were to look like the paparazzi. Right. So they were acting like kind of insects and, and creatures um, but they were they had to be able to move their heads up and down. So it's like a box camera, that kind All of different yeah. sorts of shapes. Right, like, okay. And I was asked to make eight at first and then they liked them so much it went up to about 16. <laughs> and it was a lot of challenges because dancers and singers don't like to have anything over their face. Mm. So... I had to make that and I also had to make a giant teapot for Alice in Wonderland, the ballet, um, for which uh, the mouse would uh, pop out of, like the doormouse <laughs> would pop out of. So I had to make these two huge props at the same time, pretending that I knew what I was doing and it was one of those real learning curves. Um, but I, I love it now at Christmas when you see Alice in Wonderland on um, the valley mm. on television and I can see my beautiful big teapot Excellent. and then I, the, the reception that these beautiful masks got you know it was all worth it but it was one of those moments where you go oh I hope I never have to do that again but um, yeah proud of those um, Do you have influences as someone who works with prop? Is there someone that you kind of go yeah I really like what they've done or, and do you have your own style? I have two questions um, here but I often do wonder if I sometimes have my own style. I think I probably try to make things. Sometimes I used to get told by my boss that I wasn't theatrical enough. I always like to think make things too realistic, oh, right. um, and that's a thing I've had to learn is to make things a bit more dramatic. So how they read on stage, um, but I think I'm just greatly influenced by the designers I work for. Yeah, right. The moment I'm working for them, my head is just in, in in their art and trying to produce that. I mean, there's some fantastic, you know, prop makers who I've worked with who've taught me. I mean, and I'm very, very lucky. I, you know, I've worked with Robert Alsop, who's, you know, thought of as a genius as a costume prop maker. Um, you know, and he's done some fantastic films and Doctor Who, and he's just... He's someone that designers just want to make right. their work. And I think it was working with him was the first time I ever felt like I was genuinely, possibly a creative person myself and not just kidding myself on. <laughs> um, and then working at the Opera House, just wonderful makers like um, Len Wheeler. And so these aren't names that people would recognise, but no. in the industry, you know, I know how lucky I've been, you know. And, and then talking about that, is there kind of um, prop culture or like you, you people know each other like the, yeah, the names yeah there's definitely yeah there's a huge community you know and there's even an online community and you know and you know the evil facebook uh, we use it quite a lot do you know how do you know where we could get this do you know if there's a maker here for that and we do communicate you know and you know you, there's people you know you can talk to if you're stuck because um we all it's a difficult job at times and sometimes yeah. you have to just reach out to like sometimes I'll even reach I've re- reached out to the head of English National Opera who was somebody I worked for and he's been fantastic you know coming up with ideas for things and you know and I phone Russell Beck who was one of the very first prop makers I worked for and he is always trying to help so yeah there's a, a really good community and I think everyone helps each other out because it's a very stressful thing because <laughs> if you're asking for help you're under a lot of stress because if you don't have the thing on stage when they need it, you're in trouble. Yeah. And that's there's nothing worse than sitting in an auditorium, the lights out, and everybody turns around to you and says you've not got this. 
So you, you, you mentioned at the beginning how you can came into this role almost like a kind of circuitous route, going through academic work and then another, and going to the uh, drama school. Is there an era more, um, uh, an easier way of people to get involved? Is there like there's a definitely, or? There's definitely an easier way to, you know, there's, there's much more awareness, I would say, about these, you know, courses existing. Um, I don't think it's got any easier to get a job. No, no. Um, I think it's, it's still very much about putting your name out there calling people up, showing your portfolio and grafting. And I think reliability is one of the, the hugest things in this job as well. Um, because, you know, I remember being at the college and them telling us, you may think you're a great artist because you got in here, but actually anybody could learn this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's more important to be the kind of person who work really, really hard. So I do try to say that without being patronised. And it's just like, just graft and I'll give yeah. you the chance. You know, because... I'm not the greatest artist in the, you know, or prop maker by any means, and people gave me a chance because I would work hard, you know. So mm-hmm. that. And um, are there particular productions that are, are coming up that you're looking forward to from your point of view that you can't yeah. wait to kind of show people your creation? Yeah, well, I was actually just running down the corridor to come and meet you, and the he- uh, the deputy head of wardrobe came running up and going, "Oh, we have to talk about that thing in gondoliers. We have to think." <laughs> um, we're I have to say, um, Midsummer Night's Dream and Gondoliers are two big making shows yeah. for us this year. Um, Midsummer Night's Dream, again, working with such a, an important designer, Tom Piper, um, one of these people you're thinking, wow, I'm going to get to work with him. He's come up with such a stunning design and I am worried because there's bits of it already and like, I don't know how <laughs> we're going to make this, but it's really, really challenging. Um Gondoliers um, with Dick Bird who um, designed the Mikado and you'll know how visually stunning that was Um, we've got some fantastic things from that that I can't really tell you because I don't want to no 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 that's fine just knowing that these are exciting years we are are, um, and it's going to be quite fun going from Breaking the Waves which is it's, I wouldn't say it's realistic, but it's very dark and it's not in any way a fantastical prop show to, you know, once we've, we've put this on, which we are excited about, but moving back into the workshop and be like, right, OK, it's now time to make some spectacular things with lots of colour and, you know, uh, yeah, we are very excited. It sounds like, um, in a good way, you can never rest because there's always the next thing yeah. you see you do it a bit yeah. like putting on any production yeah. it's done it's gone you yeah. can you know, that was good fun but now we're yeah and it's like a blank canvas yeah and even in the six years i've been here scottish opera has got so busy i mean i first started the summer was a bit quieter and i thought oh well, maybe this is a bit like you know being a teacher you get, <laughs> you get the summer to just kind of get everything back in order but no no yeah. no no we don't do that now and you know, and it's not even just the big shows. We have so many smaller yes. you know, shows. And we have, you know, we've just done a wonderful education show, Fox Talk. Mm. So, you know, we're always we're always on it. You know, so what are the challenges with the different sizes of shows? Because obviously mm. some will have fair size budgets and others will be yeah. hardly. I mean, um, with, with the main scale, you roughly kind of know the budgets for each, you know, Slot, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, our final show tends to be, you know, the big extravaganza at the end of you. So we kind of can look at a show even sometimes without doing the costing up. We'll just look at the model box and go, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> we do a lot of time, you know, a lot of time is spent on the budgeting and the costing. Um, but for the big shows, I think we're, we're 
you know, we get there. The the small shows have their own difficulty because, yeah. you know, just from a design point of view, you always think a small show, well, that be easier, but it's not because it's often a show that tours and it has to fit into so many different venues. And there's so... And easily tourable as well. Yeah, uh-huh. And, you know, and we don't... You know, we're not sending a lot of people out the door with those sho- sho- shoes shows. It could just be one or two people yeah. who have to build it and take it down under you know a, a really really tight schedule. So even the small shows can be hugely demanding. You know, so we never rest that easy. <laughs> well, I have to say, um, I always think that um, Scottish Opera sets in general are absolutely stunning. So uh, it's an incredible team. Really yeah, we are with. blessed with the most wonderful guys and, and uh, guys and women in the workshops yeah. um, and our painters are just very very well known as well Kelvin Guy um, he's he's a bit of a legend yeah we're very very lucky with the, the craft in Scotland I just sort of one final question while it strikes me is do you then come up with the drawings and plans and then go to people in the workshop or are you actually making them yourselves these now no so the does Traditionally, the designer would mm-hmm. do the drawings. Yeah. Um, a designer, depending how famous big they are, yeah. they could have assistants who will supply the drawings. But a lot of the time, we employ a draftsperson. Right. Who, um, certainly for the workshops, for the, the actual set building, um, we really, really need the most precise technical drawings. And it's pro- it saves a lot of problems to actually get a, a professional draftsman to sure. do it. Um, but... Costume will get the most beautiful costume drawings. Props we don't tend unless it's a very specific prop, you know, that's never been done yeah. before. We'll get about a million googled images and an explanation, and then we try to make it from that. And that's what's important for us is that's why we have to have that good relationship with the designer because if you're given a mishmash of, you know, images, you you somehow have to know you're going the right way with yeah. where their heads at. So. Yeah, I've just got that scene in. Uh Spinal Tap or the Order Stonehenge and it's in centimetres instead of metres. In oh, honestly, I, just, I have to face up, I just did a, a job for somebody and, and did something similar. So, like, yeah, it happens to everybody. Well, Marion, thanks so much for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you. And we'll be back soon uh, with someone else from Scottish Opera. Cheers. Mm-hmm.